Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Formula One's 2020 season finished today with the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the championship's pandemic-delayed and compacted season finally, and thankfully, reaching its rescheduled conclusion. The race was not one for the ages, with Max Verstappen nevertheless taking a well-deserved win from pole, as Mercedes was surprised to find it could not match Red Bull on race pace. Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton therefore rather trailed home in second and third, with Alex Albon even putting Hamilton under some pressure late in the race. The lack of a race up front, even after Sergio Perez's final race for Racing Point ended with a disappointing retirement due to an MGUK problem, which caused the officials to first activate the virtual safety car and then bring out the real one, the attention was really on the battle for third in the Constructors' Championship. McLaren had had the advantage after qualifying, and especially after Perez's retirement, it didn't look under too much pressure given Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz Jr. were running well clear of their rivals. Daniel Ricciardo was able to make some progress for Renault, but his conscious strategy of starting on the hards and not stopping under the safety car only got him up to behind the McLarens in 7th, well adrift at the finish as Norris and Sainz came home behind Albon in 5th and 6th. Science had to wait on the outcome of an investigation into an incident with Lance Stroll in the pit lane during the safety car period where he was suspected of having driven too slowly but he was unruffled by the investigation after the race and indeed was not penalised. McLaren therefore took third place by seven points over Racing Point with Renault in fifth, 14 points further back. Now joining me tonight to discuss all of that on more on Zoom are Motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble, Autosport's F1 reporter Luke Smith and GP Racing's executive editor Stuart Codling. Now, um, not to get the podcast off to uh, too much of a grumpy start, but I know all three of you have been swigging various alcoholic beverages while I am forced, nearly approaching midnight in Abu Dhabi, to clutch a cup of coffee, which I'm even more uh, disturbed to see is not, you know, like a a reusable cup. It appears to be uh, 
one that will be thrown away after immediate use. It was in my hotel room. Someone, someone's been grinding beans. Yeah, someone's been grinding their beans. Very upsetting, very upsetting. But anyway, I hope you are enjoying your beverages. Codders has got a massive glass of red wine. Uh, and Codders, I wanted to start with you because um, are you disappointed that uh, you weren't at the rugby today as you were last week, which caused you your absence from this podcast after the Sakir Grand Prix? Uh, yeah, disappointed you weren't at the rugby today rather than watching a lifeless Abu Dhabi Grand Prix? A little bit. Obviously, the London Irish game was yesterday and was Obviously. in France, so wouldn't have been able to go there anyway. And it was a little bit of a scrappy affair, you might call it. And we we streamed it uh, via the internet. We were trying to watch it in the Lord Heseltine Theatre, but unfortunately, um, Bill Gates stroke Tim Cook have uh, done us over, and AirPlay no longer works in the Codling household. So we had to huddle around a laptop and watch the screen. Terrible. And um, what did you make of the race today? As I said, not a lot of uh, action, especially up at the front. Uh, but was there any enjoyment to be had from your point of view in the Abu Dhabi race? Yeah, I suppose. Do you know, I, I think even even that famous irony misunderstander Alanis Morissette would have appreciated and perhaps even comprehended the irony of a, a season where the. the the destination of the World Championship itself had not seemed in doubt from quite early on. There were a lot of races which Lewis Hamilton won, but nevertheless, we've had a lot of fantastically exciting races. And yet here we are ending that season with a whimper rather than a bang, and yet someone other than Lewis uh, leading from start to flag. So yeah, it was it was very weird. Some people might find an irony in it. It was a bit of a shame that it was a bit of a bore. Um, nice to see someone else winning other than the two Mercedes. But once again, this is a season where we've had two new winners and a lot of exciting races. So, yeah, a bit disappointing. And, and once again, I don't know why I do this to myself every year. Every year I get very excited about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I love the format. I, I like the look of the circuit. Uh, I, I, I like the the the. the day into night format of it and yet every time it colossally disappoints um and yeah uh, i I don't know what to make of it and and certainly a lot of the drivers have have had a a few words about the format themselves well i have to say it's my first time uh, visiting the gas marina circuit and i've been absolutely as as i've said to luke on a a number of occasions as we sort of planning other stuff for autosport.com and our columns and our podcasts and news stories and things that i'm i'm thoroughly impressed by the facilities at the track it is it is a it's a pretty stunning place to work. Like you can, you can tell that they've got all the money in the world to, to spend on a racing facility because it is absolutely tremendous. And yet, every year it seems to produce a dull race. Um, John, is there any is there any particular reason with the layout of the course of of why that is? Do you think? Because the layout's terrible. Um, I find it <laughs> appalling that. Um, a racetrack that was built in the desert so basically had no limitations on what they could have done with it or how they could have done it and they weren't limited by budget came up with such a terrible layout for racing we we knew the second we saw the layout it was going to be no good too many 90 degree corners um too many medium speed corners too many corners all interlinked with each other um very few overtaken opportunities only one really with drs um you know the Turning point was that f- famous race when Fernando got stuck behind Vitaly Petrov, just unable to overtake him, which showed how impossible it was to overtake in the pre-DRS era. So DRS has partly saved it, but uh, it needs a revamp. And I think it's such a so sad that a week after we had a fantastic Sakir Grand Prix on a track that was never really 
ever going to host Formula One in, in a normal year. Gave us a fantastic race, um, fantastic storylines, good overtaking. Um, the season had to end with a bit of a, a damp squib today. I have two pieces of intelligence that may be germane to this. What um, one of them sli- of, of slightly more dubious prev- uh, provenance than the other? Um, so let's kick off with with the one which may be just gossip and hearsay. But I, I was informed uh, at the time that the circuit was built that it had to undergo uh, a last minute and costly redesign because it's it's all on reclaimed land. They expensively sort of dug a load of hardcore out from somewhere and, and and filled land out into the sea to to build this thing and that the whole layout of the circuit and the marina behind it was done so that the crown prince's um mega yacht could sail into the harbor and take pride of place and then unfortunately during construction he bought a bigger boat, if I may paraphrase the film Jaws. So um, the, the the whole thing had to be redesigned at the last minute, which apparently is why there's the tunnel, because basically that whole section had to be truncated so that um, this this new and larger boat could could come in. This this is simply what I heard. It may or may not be true. It's it's amusing anyway. The bit that is true and. Is, is God's own truth because Herman Tilker spoke those words to me himself was was that he designed the back end of, of the track with lots and lots of corners with, with, with adverse camber because he thought that this would cause drivers to make a mistake and and certainly when you have corners with adverse camber it it does magnify the effect of the changing load on it you know the, the outside tyres the, the, the right hand side of the car if it's a left hand corner does undergo more load the, the 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 unloaded side is that much more unloaded so it it does have a tendency to unbalance the cars but as some of the drivers have said to us today that actually just means you can't get close to the guy in front so that has actually become a problem and, and as herman tilka said to me this was this was even before he built the wretched circuit um that um the, these drivers are too good and they don't make mistakes when you just throw adverse camber at them well if i could uh, throw in my own bit of speculation and possibly hearsay into the mix i was told uh, by a by a press room colleague this weekend that uh, the, the the run down to the hairpin at the end of the first sector was supposed to be as a really fast blast all the way there that chicane wasn't supposed to be there in the original design but the the, the 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 creation of the track they wanted the grandstands to be right on top or as close to the hairpin as possible and the uh you know the, the fia the regulators sort of said well they can't be arriving at that speed so we have to put a chicane in and obviously that that creates that means they're not there's no chance for them to get close to each other onto the ensuing straight how true that is as with your first uh, anecdote goddess i don't know but there we go oh it's perfectly true it is utterly true that's why there's a little wiggle there Good, lovely words. Good to know that I've been uh, fed correct information from that particular source. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on back to uh, the race. What racing there was today? Let's start rather predictably with the winner, Max Verstappen. Uh, very very strong all weekend after taking uh, after taking pole in qualifying, um, and just looked in control throughout. There was no real drama. He aced the start. He was in control at the restart after the safety car. Was a little bit worried at one stage, Luke, about some vibrations he was picking up. Um, what, what was that all about? Yeah, so it was about 10 laps towards the end. And as you say, he kind of dominated the race without any fuss, really. He just pulled away and was never even never even had Bottas behind him within DRS range. So it was under no pressure whatsoever. 
And uh, yeah, his lead was standing about 10 or so seconds. And then he reported that there was a vibration and he said, sounding rather panicked. Um, Have you seen that vibration? Could you see it coming out of that corner? And the engineer was like, yep, thanks, Max. I understand that. And uh, he said after the race that it did sort of bring back some flashbacks of Imola when he had that tyre failure and running second. And that cost him the race completely ultimately has cost him second place in the championship one could argue as well and uh yeah Codders, i believe you've got a, a rhyme about oscillations haven't you i was told this today uh, d- oh no uh, i i can't we can't say that on the podcast okay. someone will complain it's, it's the best joke okay. ever but um we'll tell you okay. what i'll t- I'll, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll tell you the joke and then Mar- producer martin can cut it out if he so desires but Producer Martin, who I, sh- I should just point out, has fallen off the Zoom call because his PC crashed. So let's see if it stays in. I mean, it might, it might do just accidentally. But do carry on, guys. Okay, it's very, it's very. Uh, Mrs. Codling regards this as the best joke ever. Um, how do you titillate an ocelot? How do you titillate an ocelot, mm. Goddard? Oscillate its titillot. Incredible stuff. I mean, it's better than the. Yeah, I think that. I think that could be it's better than the, <laughs> that, that's better that's than the spa it. comment. That's, uh, <laughs> that, I doubt that will get us as much as the as complaint as the as the one that did come on after spa. But anyway, um, John, what happened to Mercedes today? It was a, a pretty comprehensive drubbing in the, in in the end. What's the team saying about why it lost that race? Uh, I think two factors were slightly at play. You've had a slightly below part. Well, it's just three factors now. I'm being all very Monty Python here. Um, First, Lewis Hamilton wasn't full of beans this weekend, coming back from coronavirus, so he's not been at 100%. Um, I think he struggled quite a bit in the race today. Um, so we didn't see, you know, peak Lewis today. Mercedes had some MGUK problems, a um, bit of concerns after the failures of Perez and George Russell on Friday. So there's been a slight, not wounding the engine down massively, but a little bit of performance deficit, um, which showed up more in qualifying than it would in the race, but we're still talking tenth a second a lap or something at various stages but I think mainly they just couldn't get the tyres switched on this weekend properly couldn't use them as as well as the Red Bull um, in qualifying it was a, a big factor I think as the as the track conditions cooled off in qualifying um, the front end just went away and we, we know the Mercedes is a car that has understeer characteristics um, it makes it very easy to drive um, but if the track conditions go away and understeer comes in then you know, they lose the front end and lose the confidence. Whereas the Red Bull has always been a, a car of a very difficult rear end. And if the track edges towards understeer, actually that's a good thing for the for the Red Bull because it can just make the balance a bit better. So it's just a weekend where Max Max and Red Bull nailed it. Merck had a few little things not going their way and that was the difference. Yeah, it was interesting in the in the press conference after after the race, uh, both Mercedes drivers were asked about, Toto Wolford had made comments uh, after qualifying, I think about the MG UK and having to turn down uh, all the Mercedes power units. The drivers claimed to be unaware of that in the race. Uh, I clarified that with the team. He said that it was that it was turned down, not for the entire race. Uh, but the, and, you know, this isn't like an engine mode thing. It's just a you know reliability thing they can do. Um, but a decent chunk of it. And yeah, they reckon it was worth about a tenth uh, a tenth of a second a lap. But was not the reason the team was slow. So I think that would that would that would feed into the uh, the tire theory there, John. Um, but yeah. Luke, let's let's come back to, to Lewis Hamilton. What did you make of his performance? Uh, he didn't sound wonderfully himself. Is is probably a fair way of putting it after he got out of the car. Um, third place, having you know come back from a, a positive COVID test, is, is is pretty good for us mere mortals. But yeah, what did, what did you make of Hamilton today? Yeah, I thought it was a very it was a very quiet and kind yeah. of anonymous display in a lot of ways. And again, a lot of that probably does 
buy into uh, what John was saying about the issues Mercedes had this weekend and a track where it is very hard to, to overtake and, and follow because uh, other races, even when we've seen often Hamilton running second behind Bottas, he's been able to put pressure on, hunt him down, force him into a mistake and, and get ahead. But there was no, he never looked close to doing that this weekend. The gap to between Bottas and Hamilton was always larger than the gap between uh, Verstappen and Bottas in the opening stint of the race at least and it felt like it was that was sort of the wrong way around you expected that Lewis really be would be um, bearing down on Bottas but yeah I think after the race he said he was just happy to get through it really and just just happy to happy to be alive a word I believe were the exact words he used at one point which was fairly strong but yeah he he said on Saturday that he was bedridden by Covid that he lo- he's lost weight he's obviously had a really bad bout of it and I think he's just very pleased to have got through this weekend and I think that it does maybe raise some questions of, well, should he have been racing? It's something Toto Wolf was asked about on Saturday. And he said, ultimately, that decision lies solely with the driver. It's up to them to decide on their fitness and if they feel prepared to race. And that Lewis Hamilton is a racing driver. So, of course, he wants to race, which which makes sense. So, yeah, I think he'll have been happy just to have, have got through it, to come away with third place. I mean, that's that's a, a maybe quite an understated way to end such a dominant championship year. But... To the same end, I think he can be pleased to have got through it and, and come home in one piece and hopefully now can just spend the winter fully recovering and be back in, in full spirits for the season opener in Australia. Which uh, he sort of is committed to doing because obviously after I think it was the Imola race where he sort of threw a hand grenade into the press by saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be here in 2021. He was saying the exact opposite in the press conference after this race saying he's hoping that he can have his new Mercedes deal wrapped up by Christmas and that he hopes discussions will start this week. Do you have any insight into uh, <clears throat> Do you have any insight to add into that, Luke? Yes, uh, Toto Wolff was asked about that in the press conference and he said much the same thing. They wanted to get it all done in the next sort of 10 to 14 days, have everything wrapped up before, quiz- before Christmas. He was uh, he said that it was always agreed they would always sit down and talk once the title was sewn up, but because Lewis got COVID, that kind of delayed everything by about two weeks or so. And uh, then I asked Toto Wolff, I said, well, you t- talked about, he talked about Lewis being a free agent and he was like, oh, you make him sound like he's going to be signed up by a, a baseball team or something. And I said to Toto, well, you're a free agent as well. We, we don't know what's going on with your contract, what's happening. And all he said was, watch this space, and then kind of smirks a little bit. So be quite interested if there's any news coming out Mercedes soon about uh, his exact role moving forward with the team. Indeed. Well, we await that with uh, with bated breath. Um, Codders, Red Bull winning the final race of the 2020 season, does that mean we're going to have a battle at the front between the two teams in 2021? Bearing in mind that the majority of this car, although I think Christian Horner only said it will be 60% over this weekend, will be carried over into next season. So uh, so presumably we're going to have a great fight for the championship next year. And um, if we don't, I'm going to blame you. Oh, great. Well, on the face of it, yes. But maybe not so much. I, I suppose it's a good thing that Red Bull have been able to do an awful lot of learning about their car and basically rewind on us on, on quite a few of the upgrades they've added to it. So it's been a painful season for them, but they do seem to be in a place where they've got it dialed in. The question is whether it will work at all circuits. That is something we, we still don't know. All, all we can say about Red Bull is that once again... They began the season with a car that wasn't in the right place. They put upgrades on it, which did not necessarily work. They had to revert back, as some of our former colleagues might um, commit to print. And and so this season's been a bit of a journey of discovery for them. Uh, And so maybe it's actually a good thing that the 
regulations have been sort of semi-frozen for next season because it means they don't have to sort of prat about doing exactly the same thing next year. So maybe COVID has actually despite all the beastliness we've gone through in 2020, has actually handed us a little bit of a golden ticket to a bit more competitive 2021. I'd still be mindful of the fact that Mercedes hasn't been pushing on with much development on its current car. So we've got a slight illusion of where the performance of the Mercedes Mm. and the Red Bull are. Red Bull's pushed on. Uh, It's been making changes. We've seen a significant change to the rear end in the last two races. They moved the wastegate exhausts and went to a single pillar um, rear wings. They're obviously doing a lot of aero work at the rear of the car. Um, so as, as they've pushed on, Mercedes decided not to bring a raft of updates to its car. It's been focusing back at the factory. So where that Mercedes currently is in terms of if it, if it bought the parts that it's working on now to the track, it could be even further up the road. So I wouldn't read too much into it. And I think ultimately one of the key things would be what impact these floor changes have for next year. Because I think the more you speak to engineers, the more you speak to teams, what appears to be a fairly innocent chopping off of the side of the floor could actually have quite a significant shake-up. Yeah, it's quite a blunt instrument, isn't it? Take it. It's sort of tapered. The, the main, the main element of it, and I think the thing that's going to hit the hardest is is the bit that seems quite innocent, which is the tapering of the floor uh, t- towards the rear wheels. And and a lot of designers have described it as a as a blunt instrument. Uh, the the outcome of which no one really knows. So we've seen a lot of teams pushing very very hard on development through through this season in the hope that they can spend their tokens on other things. And and some of them are doing it for different reasons. So you have McLaren, who've been pushing very, very hard on development, going to a whole new front-end philosophy because they know they're going to have, spe- have to spend tokens on the adaptation of their car to the Mercedes engine. You've got other people holding back. You've got some teams that haven't been able to develop for lack of money. So the I think the net effect is going to be a little bit of unpredictability as we go into next season. Well, that all sounds like something to look forward to, but indeed definitely far too simplistic to say that because Red Bull wins the last race of 2020, it'll be at the front in 2021 or the start of 2021. And that is that is quite key because Verstappen was saying after the race that, you know, Red Bull's got to start stronger. That's that's always that's been its weakness over a number of seasons now. And the fact that there are so much of the car being carried over into 2021, that does remove that sort of, uh, you know, there's definitely no more excuses next year, but that is for the future to uh, to decide and to show. Let's uh, let's come back to the race today. Um, Luke, what did you make of Valtteri Bottas finishing second? We said before the weekend, and I still I still feel this that he's in a no win situation this weekend because he beats uh, COVID recovering Lewis Hamilton, not at his best, but he doesn't have the chance to hit back against George Russell. So it's like no matter what, he, he was in a hard place, and he ends up not winning the race that Mercedes would have come into expecting to win before the, the tyre stuff and, and also that engine problem as well. But yeah, what, what, what did you think of Bottas today? Yeah, much the same as Lewis, quite anonymous. And we heard a couple of times over the radio, his his engineer, Ricky, saying, like, push now, try and cut that gap if you can. And he never really did. And I think that he was... Ultimately, Verstappen was just on another level, really, today compared to where Mercedes were. But I think the one thing we can take away from this weekend is just the extra level of support that appears that Mercedes are giving Bottas. And he said after qualifying on Saturday, when we heard that radio message from Toto Wolff, that that had basically come about by chats between Toto and Valtteri and Bottas saying, I need more support. Basically, I want to be hearing from you guys more. So I think that's why we heard maybe a bit more from Toto, uh, a bit more from Ricky as well during the race. And I think that just shows that it's clear that 
they what they saw in Bahrain they're like we've got to talk about this we can't just let it slide and be like oh it's fine let's just one race or whatever that they are actually really looking at as being a, a flashpoint in the relationship between Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes because ultimately it could end up I think whatever happens come 22 I think that will be Bahrain will be looked back on as being a very important race for whatever decision is taken so so I think that's I think that's interesting I think yeah his performance today it was he did what he had to do he was he was quicker than Lewis which again is is no mean feat but as you said he's got Covid so it's kind of like well was it actually that good I'd be very intrigued to see what you give him on the driver ratings because it was it was decent and he did out qualify his teammate as well so yeah, I haven't even thought about it yet. It's been uh, it's been flat out for a reason we shall get to uh, later on in the podcast. Um, but John, the the as I said in the introduction, the the fight for third in the constructors championship really after fairly early on in the race was was the main sort of focus in terms of a narrative. But even that was somewhat of an anticlimax because of Perez's retirement, Lance Stroll not able to make any progress, and McLaren being in such a strong position early on. And as we said, the track was never going to lend itself to you know, the, the the cars that had qualified behind the McLarens in the Renault and the racing points being able to get back to them. So what did you make of the outcome of that particular fight? Yeah, because Perez wasn't going to make the progress he made last weekend, um, you know, really slow to slow to get going. Um, you know, started moving up a little bit before the engine shut down. Um, and then he was, once he was out of it and Stroll just didn't, just had an afternoon, just an uninspiring afternoon, really didn't appear to have much fight in him. Um, McLaren's looked in control. There's a bit, a bit of nervousness about the potential of a Carlos Sainz penalty, but I think in, in the end the gap to Daniel Ricciardo was so big anyway that I don't think you know any any scale of penalty if he'd got one would have made much of a difference. And in the end, Racing Point probably on measure had the third quickest car for much of the season. I think this weekend maybe the McLaren was quicker overall, um, and over the season McLaren just made more of their more of the opportunities in terms of. You know, two drivers scoring points all the time. Strategy was good. Um, but we must also not forget that um, Racing Point lost 15 points at the first race because of the um, controversy over the pink Mercedes. And in the end, that made all the difference. And I do wonder if Racing Point knew at the time that these 15 points were costing a place in the Constructors' Championship, if they might have kicked up a bit more of a stink. Yeah, well, that was going to be my, my next point. Um, Codders, I mean... How much will Racing Point be ruining losing those 15 points for having taken the decision it did to design the RP20? But then at the same time, you know, it might not necessarily have been in the battle if it hadn't decided to do what it did in terms of uh, copying the Mercedes car. Yep, I think they thought they could brazen it out. And and for a long time they did. And it, it was a logical decision to make. They've had the Mercedes powertrain for so long. Um, and... It, it made it made sense to adopt the Mercedes um, sort of the lower rake philosophy that the Mercedes has, and and to clone the car for for what they thought was a single season. I, I suppose that the trouble is that we're kind of looking back and we're looking a lot of it through hindsight. And when they set about designing that car, they thought they would be just doing one season with this car before moving on to the next. It was a it was a means of sort of forming a closer relationship with Mercedes. It was a mean. It was a shortcut com- to competitiveness. It, it, it was a means of ensuring that the new owner saw some return on their investment, and and also, it, let's not forget that Andrew Green said this time a year ago they'd been wanting to do this sort of thing for a long time. They just didn't have the money, and so when Lawrence Stroll comes in with a little 
bag of gold and says, here you go, boys, have have a go with this. Let's see what you can do. They're eager to, to demonstrate what they can do. So so they made a pretty decent car. The, the, the trouble is that, you know, but the, the strangest thing was for a team that for so many years has been able to extract the maximum for every opportunity they get, um, this has been a season where they had the, arguably the third fastest car and did not extract every single opportunity they got. And, and that's something they'll be kicking themselves for. Yeah, I fully agree with that, Collins. And I think that is probably more than the brake darts. I think that's what they'll probably be more annoyed about. You look at Monza, where Lance Stroll was in a brilliant position to win that race, fluffed the grid start and then blew it completely and finished third. You look at Stroll's run of form when he returned from COVID. And Alex, I know he spoke to you uh, the other day for a postseason interview about the sort of impacts of dealing with COVID for that run of races. But it was the points gap to Sergio Perez was pretty staggering. And in the final standings, there's 50 points between the two of them. Perez is fourth in the championship, has done a, a superb season, scored points in every single race where he's got to the finish. And Stroll just hasn't performed. And I think we saw today how poor Lance Stroll was in Abu Dhabi I thought I thought it was I think he's had a good season in a lot of ways I think his two podiums were were very well earned but I think today the way he made such very heavy weather to quote you Stuart Codling to quote Sir Patrick Head I think but yes (laughs) to quote Sir Patrick Head sorry Um, uh, the way he he just struggled so much whereas all the other drivers ahead had just picked Vettel off pretty easy and even Vettel said over the radio I'm gonna get eaten up here and Stroll just struggled and struggled and struggled and that that was really disappointing and I think yeah I think that there are lots of positives Racing Point can take from this season and I think that the decision to go with the pink Mercedes was a really it was it was a really great idea it was at the time it looked like really low risk for possibly a very high reward and it nearly gave them third in the championship. It's given them a race win. It's given them a couple of extra podiums as well. But the fact that they haven't beaten McLaren, who for the most of the season were a slower team, I think that's you've, they've got to look at these missed opportunities they've had and say, look, how do we let this happen? Because, uh, yeah, I think that's probably been the bigger factor than the break dots. And, you know, as, as, as fans, media, whatever, we can be disappointed in what's gone on. I, th- I think the... The, the the people who work for Racing Point are going to be even more disappointed because um, I I was told that they stood to get a, a ten thousand pound bonus each if they finished third from Mister Stroll's own pocket. So there's there's a lot of people who presumably had been thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a nice holiday out of this, uh, or my family's going to get something nice, or my children can go to a posh school, or I can buy a better car, all that sort of thing. And and it's just been snatched away from them at the last minute. So um, I, I feel desperately sorry for them. And that may explain, there's a video going round of uh, Sergio Perez's number one mechanic, like looks like he's in tears, just completely desolate upon finding out that Checo's out of the race and Perez comes over and puts an arm around and they have a, have a hug. And yeah, it's that human side of F1 that you've got to remember these are these are real lives as well. As much as may, we may observe and fans may cheer on teams and cheer on people, it is there are humans at the end of it who their lives are being really impacted by these races. But I think we also need to remember that they were unlucky at times as well. If, you know, if Stroll hadn't picked up that puncture in Mugello, if Perez didn't have the MGUK failure in Bahrain, which were, they were two results that they'd had earned and were, would have had, um, without events they would have finished third so it wasn't I don't think you can blame the team for you know the strategy mistakes or the driver mistakes that, that came about there were there were factors but you know this is this is a Formula 1 season where everything all adds up in the end uh, and you've got to got to accept that you lose some through luck and some through through mistakes but wasn't all wasn't all their own fault 
And uh, just just to add my two cents and sort of to bring this uh, this this good, I enjoyed this little discussion about uh, about Racing Point. I still maintain, as I have done all season, that Perez in particular, while he has had an excellent season overall, did underperform at the start, knocking the wing off in Austria. A few qualifying performances early on, where you know he could have had a you know a, a, a gone on to get big big points in those races. So lots of things to consider, but we must move on. Uh, and we kind of, I'm kind of wanted wanted to talk about some endings that have uh, you know happened at, at this at this race. Um, Daniel Ricciardo leaving Renault, Carlos Sainz leaving McLaren, Vettel leaving Ferrari, and Daniel Kvyat probably leaving F1. Um, why don't we start there, Luke? What what was Kvyat saying after the race about his future? Yeah, he was fairly forthright about it. He said that he is now a free agent. He said that when he rejoins. Uh, what was Toro Rosso and became AlfaTauri that it was always a two-year deal and he just said it was really a shame that he's not actually been given any official word from AlfaTauri about what his future is we we know pretty much that Yuki Tsunoda is going to replace him at the team next season like that that's going to be announced probably next week and again as happened with I remember in 2018 when Brendan Hartley was racing for the team and again it was it was plainly obvious to everyone that he was on his way out but we had like a final media session and we're like well so what are you going to do and he was like I've got a contract for next year and just stuck to this line because he'd not been officially told anything and it is it is a shame when drivers can't be given that sort of decision beforehand so they can actually fully enjoy their final Formula One race um yeah, it's a shame. I think back to Jensen Button at 2014 in Abu Dhabi. I believe he had a special helmet and everything made up as well, just in case, because he he didn't know if it would be his last race or not. So, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult for Danny, but he's already said he wants to be back in 2022. He's come out with some quotes that I think Fernando Alonso would be very proud of this weekend, said his qualifying lap was the best he's ever done. I believe he said at one point if he was in a top car, he could fight for a championship. So he's uh, been really trying to up his stock as much as possible for a possible comeback in the future. But even he was asked, you've been on and off with Red Bull so many times, surely this is it. And he said, you can never say never, but it's true. It's happened for a while now. Well, I just I, I wanted to uh, throw in an anecdote that I, I just remembered that may be pertinent and relevant to the discussion about Daniel Kvyat not getting a send off from AlphaTauri and potentially, well, expectedly Yuki Tsunoda coming in. I think it was on the Tuesday night after we arrived in Abu Dhabi, had been given our green wristbands and were free to explore the hotel. I was enjoying a drink with some of the photographers from Motorsport Images who were also staying in the same hotel, and uh, we were we were rather luckily in uh, in, in the in the club lounge on the tenth floor of this hotel. And we're having a drink and having a chat and it's all going very, very polite. And then at one point I look up and Franz Tost is walking in, followed by Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, he took one look at us and immediately turned out and walked out again with Tsunoda <laughs> as well. No idea what they were doing. That He wasn't holding a piece of paper. He wasn't holding a pen. So I don't know if there, were, there was no contract signing potentially in the offing. But uh, that is that definitely happened. I, I witnessed that with my own eyes. Got it. Yeah, do you know, the last time I was in that place... Um, uh, a, a group of us ran into Ian Rush, the former Liverpool footballer. Oh. Did you have a good conversation with him? No, I, 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 as you know, I have no knowledge of football, but even I knew who Ian Rush was. But um, I, I let the other people be excited on my behalf. But we have seen that throughout the weekend. I think that there were even pictures on Thursday, I believe, that uh, Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly went for a, a track run together with a couple of uh, AlphaTauri mechanics. And that Tsunoda has been on the AlphaTauri pit wall all weekend and he's obviously doing the young driver test next week. So it's odd. I don't get it because he got the super license last week. So it's like, well, why don't I just announce him now? And Danny can properly be told, like, it's your final race. Enjoy yourself. I just don't understand the, the policy. But From a communications point of view, it's a not knowing your ass from your elbow moment. <laughs> 
isn't it? Or maybe they thought that some, you know, as uh, you know, that the poor benighted Hass PR apparatchik uh, Stuart Morrison last week had every single one of his driver <laughs> announcements dive bombed by Mercedes. Maybe they thought, I don't know, who knows? You know, maybe Valtteri will, bit will test positive, so we daren't announce just in case something goes down and Mercedes trumps our uh, driver announcement. Well, whatever happens, I hope it's announced while I'm flying home tomorrow. That's usually what uh, what happens to John when you're travelling. Um, but John, why don't I come back to you and we'll talk a bit about Sebastian Vettel and his Ferrari era ending. Uh, I was very fortunate to, to speak to him in the, the little bit of the paddock that was opened up to the media this weekend. Um, I did rather doorstep him as as, a, as one of the uh, one of our uh, well one of our colleagues, Giorgio Piola, was handing him a sort of souvenir T-shirt that he waved uh, Vettel over to give. Uh, but Vettel very kindly gave me a few moments of his time. Said it was very uh, very emotional day we saw the Ferrari mechanics clapping him out of the garage in sort of a guard of honor but then the race again it was just another underwhelming 2020 display but probably not really his fault today considering Charles Leclerc also struggling the Ferrari being overcome on the straights and just generally ending 2020 as it has all year being a a bit underwhelming but yeah what what did you make of uh, the way the Vettel era at Ferrari ended? Uh, It ended without drama and I think it ended as ended as well as kind of he, he could he and the team could have hoped for and expected after a pretty difficult season. Um I don't think there's any real bad blood. I think the start of the season had been difficult when Seb had been told he wasn't being retained. Um I think there was, you know, a bit of difficulties in politics, but there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. He's not been particularly comfortable with the car this season. Charles has definitely got more out of it. Um there was a little phase a few races ago where he seemed to make some progress and Charles had a bit of a step back, but this weekend they just got. I think they just kind of got through the weekend. It wasn't a track that particularly suits the Ferrari well. It's got long straights and requires you know, aero efficiency and decent downforce um, aspects that haven't been particular strengths of the Ferrari. Um, but I think he'll leave. You know, ultimately reflect, reflecting on Ferrari era as a, a positive for him. They didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. The championship didn't come, but. Um, I think also for maybe for Seb, he just needs a needs a reset, like he had a reset after the, the Red Bull era, the, the difficult season. Change teams, feel wanted again, feel loved, get some you know arms around your shoulder. He'll become the, the focus of that racing point team. Will you know look to him to for development and pushing forward and potential and results and profile. Um, and I think he'll he'll thrive there. Um, hopefully, um, you know return to the strong Seb Vettel we've seen in the past. Indeed, and I was I was quite amused to hear him say uh, when I asked him about uh, how he was feeling uh, after the race today, he was, he was sort of saying, oh, I'm kind of glad it, the season's over. It's been so tough, really. He was quite uh, quite sanguine about it, which is quite funny. Um, uh, Luke, coming to his replacement at Ferrari, Carlos Sainz Jr., um, couldn't have been more delighted to have helped his soon-to-be former team, McLaren, secure P3 in the Constructors' Championship. Didn't seem to... We were pretty defiant when, when we asked him in that media pen about the, the pit lane incident with Stroll. It was basically just like, yeah, don't know what it was all about. Didn't do anything wrong, and ultimately was cleared. Um, but yeah, what do you make of uh, of science uh, today, and and how things ended for him at McLaren? Yeah, a really nice send off. I think again, McLaren they they just showed so much gratitude, and I think they can really see how much he has helped them move forward. And it's only been a two year stint, but I think he's had such a huge impact in terms of shaping what the sort of 
McLaren team going forward is is going to look like and helping this resurgence. So yeah, it's been a really good period for for him. And yeah, I thought he signed off really well today. I think it was fitting that him and Lando spent the race pretty much uh, pretty much together and, and finishing one after the other. And to help them get third in the championship, that's really the ultimate send off. I think he could have given. I think he's been brilliant again this season. He he's always said that he when even when he moves to Ferrari, he wants to see McLaren doing well. He said that he thinks McLaren's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the future. But obviously announced today as well that they've got. Uh, new uh, investors on board as well from the US that's going to help boost the team's fortunes so it's um, yeah I thought it was a really nice send-off for him and I think that it's it's nice that I think particularly in the case of with Vessel even if it's been a bit iffy this year in terms of the relationship between him and Ferrari but that's ended very positively today very nicely and uh, but with science I mean it's just there's just so much love between him and the team it's really really wonderful so yeah I thought a very fitting send-off for him and It'd be very interesting to see what happens at Ferrari next year moving forward. But I think that to get that same kind of environment, I think it's going to be very interesting if Ferrari can try and replicate that and give science that same kind of love and support, basically. Well, Goddard, let's just stick on McLaren for a moment. Um, the only way is up for that team, right? Well, as uh, one of our former colleagues tweeted today, and is indeed Yaz and the plastic population reach number one with a signal of that a single of that same name the only way is up but um actually maybe not andreas seidel said that um actually he, he didn't use the word luck but he he alluded to the fact that they're done pretty well out of a scenario where they probably wouldn't have expected to finish third in the constructors championship so he i think he was he was asked are you going to target maintaining third in the constructors championship uh, next season and he said, well, you know, we, we, we've, we've arrived at this point through a particular set of circumstances and, you know, we, we've, we've done well, we're very pleased, but we're not going to kid ourselves. And they, they, they've done pretty well, but they've, they, they know they've got a, a lot of work to do. At the beginning of the season, they had a few sort of pit stop problems, which they ironed out, which is a positive. The, the, the car development seems to have progressed. They made quite a radical step with the aero philosophy, as, as we mentioned earlier, to try and preempt the token system. So they've tried to get their ducks in a line before they spend their tokens on adapting to the Mercedes engine. So they're, they're in a pretty strong place. It kind of depends on how well Daniel Ricciardo sort of um, beds in. We, we, we can expect him to carry on doing well. Lando Norris has been very impressive this year. So it does feel like that they're a team that is coalescing they're achieving confidence and they just seem a little a lot more racy than they used to be you know you you've seen them try strategies that ask a lot of the drivers in terms of expecting them to pull off overtakes if to make the strategy work and by and large the drivers have been able to do that so that has given the whole team as a unit a, a lot of confidence going forward that they can sort of carry on that momentum yes yeah, a good point you make about uh, Norris I thought it was important for him to end the season on a really strong note because I thought the last sort of few races he's had a little bit of a, a downward turn in form but mm. he certainly really really bounced back so that was his best lap uh, in qualifying of his F1 career he was saying ahead of the race um, John coming to, to Norris's teammate for 2021 uh, Daniel Ricciardo leaving Renault okay they don't end up in third in the Instructors Championship they end up fifth but he had a positive race today you know go, coming forward on the contra strategy how good was he today? Yeah, the, the early phase was looked quite difficult. The Renault, for some reason, just the pace disappeared in qualifying. They'd looked pretty strong all throughout practice. I know the conditions in practice are very different to how they are in qualifying because 
FP1 and FP3 take place um, in pretty much daytime and qualifying's in the in the twilight evening. But they've been strong, didn't click in qualifying's. They started well down the order, um, neither making it through to Q3. Um, and the race, it was so difficult to make any progress here. But when Daniel elected to stay out, when everyone else pitted, it moved him up the order and he had the pace to go forwards. Um, so decent points, nice present at the fastest lap as well at the end because it obviously changed on to um, the, the medium tyres, um, which looked good. So not not the perfect end. I think they would have liked third place. Um, I think there'd be a lot of analysis at Renault as to where this where the momentum of the season went from because they went for a phase of the, the podium at the Nürburgring. Um, podium at, was it Imola as well? The podium? Course, yeah. Yep, podium at Imola. Um, then you go to lap one in Turkey and they're running up there with a Mercedes. So it all looked, everything looked on course for them to march on and take third place. And then the season didn't really click after that. Esteban sure got second place at um, Sakir, but they haven't had the the momentum that they needed to finish third. But I mean, it looks good. And I'm sure Fernando will be rattling their cage for the answers as to you know just what happened in these final few races. He will be because he's been. He's got a great face mask on display. Did you see it? So he's got a specially printed um, face mask. I, to my mind, I, I, I felt like Ricardo pulled a result out of the bag that maybe the team d- didn't necessarily warrant today. I know the 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 whole sort of going long on a hard tire strategy is a little bit like a broken clock that tells the right time once or twice a day. Uh, some sometimes it works, but more often it doesn't. But you kind of look at the the final results, which is that um, Ricardo and Vettel started the race pretty much adjacent to one another on the grid, and Daniel finished seventh, Vettel finished fourteenth. Obviously, that, that they've got different cars, but you, you have to say that one one driver made that strategy work. The other driver, for whatever reason, weaknesses in the machinery, tires not working, etc., just didn't and just drifted backwards and and made, in the words of Sir Patrick Head, very heavy weather of it. Indeed. Well, we need to we need to rattle through the the topics. It is approaching uh, nearly half past twelve here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but I was uh, very pleased uh, to see Kevin Magnussen celebrating uh, the, the end of the race with some donuts, considering he's leaving house. I thought that was a, a nice little touch and uh, and enjoy the two Mercedes uh, in sort of in unison on the pit straight, ending up facing each other. That was that was that was quite nice and neat and symmetrical. Um, but Luke, the last sort of the last sort of ending of eras a topic I wanted to ask about was Sergio Perez and Racing Point, and what is the latest regarding the possibility, presumably remote now, of him joining uh, Red Bull in place of Alex Albon. Well, yeah, it's the story that we continue to wait about, really. It's the final piece of the driver market that, that we want to want to learn of. And Alex Albon, he was very punchy after the race by Alex Albon standards, because he's very normally a mild-mannered guy. But he said that he felt he'd done everything he can. He did a, a decent race today. Well, I didn't think it was particularly spectacular but he did well to get past Norris in that first stint and by then Lewis Hamilton was already already a long way up the road the safety car bunched them again he then fell about nine seconds back from Hamilton but cut the gap all the way down to 1.5 seconds at the end and Tosa Wolf said after the race that he was quite worried actually that Albon would be able to catch and pass Lewis in those closing stages so but he came home fourth which is kind of the bare minimum you'd expect from a Red Bull driver and I think that had Max not been so dominant today the Mercedes would have tried to split their strategies and cover the cover him off a bit like they did at Imola and be able to sort of leave him with nowhere to go so I think that it was a, a decent display 
Christian Horner said it was he thought it was one of the strongest weekends of the season he's seen from Alex Albon. And uh, really, we've got to wait and see. Uh, John, I believe you spoke to Horner after the race and he gave some other mm. updates as well. Uh, you know, he's playing his cards close to his chest, just saying we'll, we'll make a decision in the next few days. But I think what, what the decision will tell us is, you know, just how ambitious Red Bull is as a racing team. Because I think if they are serious about going for the World Championship next year, if they are serious about having to take on Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton, today shows you why you need two cars right up there. Um, if there hadn't been the safety car period, Alex would have been 15 seconds off by the time he cleared um, Norris. Um, too far back, um, would probably have fallen back because he's on the soft tyres, would have then pitted and disappeared and would have left the, the room free for Mercedes to do a pincer movement on Max. So I think while Alex did a good job today, I think ultimately Red Bull needs someone quicker in that car. They need someone who's shadowing Max. They need someone who's not disrupting the Mercedes by being 10 seconds back, who's disrupting the Mercedes by being in front of them. Um, and I think Alex maybe just doesn't go on with this car. Maybe he needs you know a timeout away from away from this car for next year bring him back in 22 maybe Alfa Tori or back into the Red Bull but I think if Red Bull is serious for next year they probably need someone um, a, a bit quicker and you know you're still it's still a leap of faith to commit to Alex for next season um, you're hoping that he can repeat what he's produced today so why not take that leap of faith and go for someone like Perez Indeed. Well, as I alluded to earlier, I haven't even given a consideration to any any of the drivers' ratings after this race because, uh, as, as I also said earlier, the, the, the paddock was opened up a little bit for the uh, the press that were on site today. There was sort of a dedicated area next to the, the TV pen where we could uh, speak to the drivers if we'd prearranged things with the, the press officers and things like that. Although, actually, we got managed to speak to a fair few people just by sort of catching people's eyes. There was Adam at Williams who brought George Russell over for a good chat and everything like that. So that was excellent. We hope that uh, that continues into 2021. And I was very amused by one of our uh, press room colleagues saying that it had given him uh, felt like he had a purpose in life again uh, after so long <laughs> of not being able to do that although I actually noted it down uh, by mistake and said I, I, I thought he'd said uh, he finally had a reason to live again which actually was even stronger <laughs> and even sillier than what he didn't say which is, which is quite amusing but, uh, did, yeah, did he put it on a did he put it on a stick <laughs> It was certainly a very sweet reaction, and I, I, I thought it was uh, thought it was rather amusing. But anyway, um, Connors, let, let's end with the fact that we have got to the end of the Formula One season, and um, you know what what a good job at the FIA and the F1 have done to get this far. Because at a point after the Australian Grand Prix, when Europe was locking down, I spoke to a couple of people from the FIA today, including Michael Massey. You know, no one foresaw what was going to happen with the world effectively shutting down. All international travel basically stopped. Is a real big danger of not getting any any season at all. But to get seventeen races in is a tremendous achievement. And you know, how much credit do you think they deserve for pulling off what they did? Um, I think they deserve a lot of credit. Um, when you think that, as, as we're speaking now, ob- obviously people will be listening to um, the podcast on the fourteenth uh, or later. But um, as we're speaking now, it's the the thirteenth. So it is nine months to the day that the Australian Grand Prix was postponed um obviously you guys were out there um we we were a man down so we'd we'd taken the the decision not to send someone out there because that would have just mean um meant me working 24 7 if if i'd gone out so part-time then part-time um That sounds fairly normal to me. Me working part time. (laughs) Me working twenty four seven. Um but but yes so yeah, Friday the 13th of March, nine months ago today, 
the Australian Grand Prix officially postponed. Th- those of us who are still in the office, um, we we just produced a pre-season video or something to to go up on on the YouTube channel. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, the the CEO said, um, uh, "Don't come in on Monday. Everyone works from home." And 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 that was a period where it was very uncertain. We we didn't Autosport magazine went on pause. Um, GP Racing faced a very un, uncertain future. All of us faced a very uncertain future. We didn't know whether we would have um, any motor racing to cover whatsoever. Um, wh- whether we'd still have jobs. Uh, whether anything would happen. Uh, and and so to to actually put together a seventeen race season has been a, a fantastic achievement. The the FIA and F one shot very early. They committed very early to making this happen. Um, to to do it in July uh, in, involved setting up planning processes while a lot of Europe was still in lockdown. And let, let's make no mistake: the, the this is this has been a commercial disaster for F1 this season. It's had to hire circuits rather than have those places pay the sanctioning fee, so they've incurred huge losses. Um, all you guys who've had um, uh, things rummaged up your nose for your COVID tests that's eighty pounds a pop. Um, that is a huge cost just to ensure. Um, the season happens so to have 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 had basically thousands of tests at 80 pounds a pop huge expense 78,000 I believe was the figure quoted yeah 78,000 tests at 80 quid a pop is a massive expense to go through and and the fact that so very few people have actually um tested positive very few drivers and and participants have tested positive and and when you look at other sports that have um perhaps not taken it as seriously as they, as they should you know as, as as a rugby fan i have to cite uh, the episode just a couple of months ago where the head coach of exeter the team that won both the uk premiership and the heineken cup in europe opined on the monday or tuesday that this is all just a great waste of money all these tests we should stop doing it on the friday pretty much the entirety of another club's team tested positive and had to forfeit a match so um the in downplaying the threat of covid um you you make a huge mistake so i i think the although it's been very annoying that some of us have have not been able to go or if we have been we haven't had the access we should have done i think we have to look at it on the positive side that reducing the access reducing the contact between people has enabled us to have a racing season so to to that extent i I think it's been a fantastic success we've had not a single cancellation of a race where other sports have have gone through all sorts of hell, um, and and I think the the expense has been worth it. So hopefully, Form- Formula One will be able to make a profit in the future years and 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 off <laughs> offset the 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 huge losses this year. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that, Codders, and I think you've uh, you expressed it very well there. Also, uh, having spoken to the FIA today, I, I I did get the impression that what a big step it was to get that 
that first couple of races going in Austria with the help of Red Bull, the fact that it owned the facility and they it was basically proof proving the concept, you know, this does work. It's not going to be a complete disaster. And they were able to take that to other circuits, other countries, other governments and uh, and get the whole show on the road. And I think they did a fantastic job uh, getting, it all, getting it all in, getting it all done. And we look forward to, to 2021 and eventually, because I still think, and especially having spoken to people from the FIA today, it's going to be... A slow burn thing it's not going to go back to normal straight away even with the vaccine that's being developed but fingers crossed everything for everybody in whatever situation you're in gets better as soon as it can uh, and i think that sounds like a fairly okay place to end this podcast so i will just say thank you very much to the three of you uh, for coming on tonight and for also all your help and assistance in my first season covering formula one it's been an absolute pleasure and i look forward to uh, one day we'll be in all be in the same room together again perhaps i'll be able to have some alcohol as well at some point uh, but anyway it'd just be lovely to, to see the three of you in person again and before i get all uh, tired and emotional uh, i'm gonna read the rest of my script that ends the show as normal so thanks to the three of you as i said for coming on tonight and thanks to everybody listening along now just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of autosport magazine came out on thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in news agents as well as on the doormats of subscribers there'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, this is Dr. Laurie Santos. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. We believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can build a more connected community, neighbor to neighbor. It takes a neighborhood.